How many of you believe that your moms are epic? I, I love that word. I, you know, that word was never in my vocabulary until I have had a, a young teenage boy again, and that word is, you know, it's epic. You know, that just, that means it is really awesome, and, and we believe that our moms are epic. I, this morning, was thinking about my mom, and, you know, you got to post on Facebook, right? You just have to do that, and, and uh, you have to honor moms and it's great to be here today and celebrate Mother's Day. We're in our series, and here's where I'm going to tie in. Our series is called Epic Fails, and we know that moms never have epic fails, ever. If they do, that's the biggest amen I've ever got. If they did, they would know how to hide it better than anyone else, Okay. But we're talking about five Bible characters throughout the month that are able to, here's the key, make comebacks after epic fails. And today we're going to look specifically at a, at a conversation, uh, an encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And we're going to look at how she failed epically and what went into that, but then also how she made a comeback and for my points this morning, I'm just going to take little little phrases from that scripture in John chapter 4 and let that really guide us through uh, our message this morning. So number one is Jesus had to go through Samaria. The woman at the well lived in the country of Samaria. She lived uh, in the city of Sychar. And uh, Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he, he's headed for, we read in the text, he's headed for the region of Galilee, and, and he was often there, and he often was in and around the Sea of Galilee as we read the scriptures. And the Sea of Galilee, just to give you a little context, was 70 miles, the, the southern part of the Sea of Galilee was 70 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. And the way to get to the Sea of Galilee, to leave Jerusalem, there was a road that went from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee, and it was a straight north-south road that was about 70 miles long. <clears throat> the problem was it went through the nation of Samaria. There's a problem there, okay? The problem is this. That during the exile, the Jews that, that still remained in Israel hundreds of years earlier, some of them chose, because there, there wasn't very many of them, they chose to intermarry with people from Samaria. So Jewish men from Israel intermarried with people that were from Samaria that they were not Jewish, okay? They were not Hebrews, and, and there was a problem. It created literally a half-breed situation, and there was tremendous animosity between the Jews and those that were now half uh, Israel and half Samaritans. In fact, this became so divisive that the Samaritans, um, they, they created their own place to worship because they were not welcome at the temple in Jerusalem. They created a place to worship on Mount Gerizim in uh, Samaria. 
And so Jesus, we read, even instructed his disciples. He said, don't go into Samaria. So there, there was something to this. I don't understand all of it, but I do understand that, that those that were legalistic about it, they certainly had a tremendous hatred for the, the Samaritans. And it was so severe that rather than take the direct route from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they would take another way. And they would go, they would walk 21 miles to the east. And then they would cross the River Jordan and they would be in a country called Perea and they would walk north along the Jordan River until they got up to the Sea of Galilee. Now, I just, I'm going to tell you, okay, we're talking a day's journey. That would be the equivalent of you taking your family to Disney, driving to Disneyland and deciding to go 500 miles out of your way because you hate Indiana. <laughs> Are you with me? That doesn't make sense. But that's exactly the situation that we're talking about. There was so much hatred and so much animosity that they would take that extra time. John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, most people would have said, we, we don't want to go to Samaria. Most people would say, we don't need to go to Samaria. What is it that Jesus said? I have to go. I must go. I need to go through Samaria. So why is this so important? It's important for a reason, and I want you to get it this morning, because this is big. Jesus wanted to and needed to go through Samaria because he wanted to have contact with one specific person. You know, the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. One of the most important truths that I can tell you today is that Jesus is looking for you. If he hasn't found you yet, I want you to know he is looking for you specifically by name. Does that make anybody happy this morning at all? That makes me really happy, okay? Really happy. He's looking for us. Jesus went to Samaria to look for one purpose, person. He didn't go look for a crowd of people. He didn't look for a service. He didn't look for, for a group of people. He went for one person, this woman. Number two, a Samaritan woman, it says, came to draw water. Look at verses 6 and 7 from John chapter 4. said, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now this may not seem like a strange sentence in this narrative to you, but let me just elaborate on it for just a moment. First of all, um, there was no running water or indoor plumbing in homes during Jesus' day. 
Now, some of you can't remember homes without indoor plumbing or running water. I've never lived in a home without running water or indoor plumbing, but we used to visit my Uncle Vaughn when I was a kid, and he lived in an old farmhouse up next to Cook Creek, and there was no indoor bathroom. And so we had to go outside to the outhouse. Does anybody remember that? You ever do that before? Well, there was no indoor plumbing. There was no running water. And so every household would have to send someone to get water each and every day. Now, ladies, moms, we know that moms do things that that not everybody else is willing to do, right? Guys, you know that, don't you? There are certain things that my wife is so gifted at that I, I just, I don't have... I'll just say the stomach to do, okay? My wife deals with sick kids a thousand times better than I do, okay? There are some things that have fallen to mothers that that no one else is willing to accept. Going to get water was one of those responsibilities that generally fell to women. And so the women would go every day and they would get water, Now, I want you to note that John here recalls that a Samaritan woman, the word woman is singular. Are you with me? Woman, not Samaritan women, but a Samaritan woman. She was all by herself. Let me ask you a question. If given the choice, when is the last time you would see a woman that would want to do something alone? They, they love to do stuff together. Men, we're like, hey, we're, we're okay being alone, you know. More fish for me. You know, that's just the way we think, right? Women, you know, I, the first time a guy gets this understanding is when you're with a group of people, you're on a group date, and all the girls go to the bathroom at one time, okay? Guys don't understand this. We do not get that. In fact, if, if you're going to get up and go to the restroom and another guy does, you're like, I'll sit and wait till he's back. <laughs> she was all alone. Let me look at one more thing. It says that she arrives at the well about noon. Now, the chore of retrieving water on a daily basis was not easy. It was something that was difficult. It says that she carried a jar. I don't know how big this was, but at eight pounds a gallon, it it tells you if she had to walk very far, this was difficult. So she is not only alone, but she's there at noon. We have to remember that, that she lives in a desert climate. And the the longer you get during the day, the hotter it gets. So the natural time to go get water would be first thing in the morning so that it's not too hot. She was there alone on purpose. She came after the other ladies had already come and gone to get their water for the day. She was there in the hotter part of the day all by herself, not at the time when you would expect a lady to be there. And the question is this, what could possibly be the reason behind these circumstances? 
And I'll say this, that maybe the circumstances in her life were such that she wanted to be there alone. She wanted to be all by herself. And there may be some of you here today that literally you, the, the, the structure of your life, the way you structured it, is to be alone. It's pretty quiet. I feel like I'm alone. Are you with me? Do you get what I'm saying? She wanted to be alone. Maybe the circumstances of your life are such that you find it to be easier to go about your business while remaining out of sight and out of mind from the rest of the world. Number three. She, she says to Jesus, how can you ask me for a drink? The disciples left Jesus alone at the well to rest. They went into town to get some food, so Jesus strikes up a conversation with this woman as she comes to the well, and the way he does it is to ask her for a drink. Okay? It's a very natural question, we would think, right? It's hot out, asking for a drink of water. She doesn't say yes or no. She doesn't say, no, I won't give you a drink of water. She doesn't say, yes, I'll give you a drink of water. She does something completely different, and I want you to look at this. She and she, look at um, chapter 4, verse 9. She gives a statement followed by a question. She said, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Why do you think she did that? Why do you think she said that? What kind of vibe do you think she was giving off to Jesus? Because sometimes people give off a vibe. Have you ever noticed that? I, I, I've been going um, about 24 times, I think, is the number for my rehab, cardio, cardiac rehab sessions at the hospital. And when I got there, people gave off a vibe. I came home, I'm like, honey, nobody there likes me. Nobody will talk to me. I say hi to everybody, and they're, hi. I say, how you doing? They just keep on walking. I said, honey, I don't understand this. I'm a likable guy. I'm friendly. I'm talking. And she said, Kevin, they're intimidated. I'm like, what? I'm five, four and a half. How can I be intimidated? She said, you're younger than all of them. I, I want to I I break the ice, you know. Jesus is breaking the ice. He's asking her, hey, can I have a drink of water? And, and her response was, was very intentional. I believe that she absolutely wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and her answer reflected that. How can you ask me for a drink? She didn't say yes. She didn't say no. She just told him, there is no vacancy. I don't need to talk to you. She came to the well alone. She purposely came when other women wouldn't be there so that she could get her work done. She desired to be alone. She uses this tactic to throw Jesus off track when she asks him this question. And she was exactly correct in pointing out 
that a Jew normally would not pick up a conversation with a Samaritan and that a man would not pick up a conversation with a woman. It was not considered socially normal. Now you have a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman, and she's getting that question just right. How could you ask me for a drink? You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. She knew exactly what she was doing. I, literally, I think she was well practiced in the art of isolation. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. Maybe you feel more comfortable being alone so that you don't have to let anybody in to your business. One day years ago, I was going through the, the, the foyer, the lobby of the church. This was, man, this was 25 plus years ago. And I, you know, I'm just, I got to shake hands with everybody. And, you know, that's just me. I like to, you know, I just, I like to do that and touch people and, you know, that sort of stuff. And I'm, I'm going through smacking guys and, and I said, hey, how you doing? And, and I'm used to getting, great, how are you? You know, just move on. The guy says, you really want to know? <laughs> I put the brakes on. I stopped. I backed up. And I looked him in the face. And this guy was rugged, okay? He, he actually had spent a lot of time in the UP. And, and was after, this is after Vietnam, okay, just to give you an idea of the era. And he says to me, I said, yeah, I want to know. And he said, there's not a day goes by that I don't feel the desire to drink again. That was heavier than I thought. It would have been easier for him to just say, I'm doing good. Let me skate on by. And he could just keep me out of his business. You see what I'm saying? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're... Maybe you just want, hey, I'm doing great. Let people skate on by, okay? Don't let them in on what's happening in your life. Avoid being around people. Distract them, okay? How about, how, would you think the Lions are gonna, ever going to get a running back, you know? Boy, that, people go off on a tangent, you know? How about that president? People go off on a tangent, costing you nothing, okay? You don't have to reveal anything. So let's move on to number four. She told him, I have no husband. Jesus proceeds to talk to her about the living water, which isn't drawn daily from a well. He's talking to her about the fact that he's the source of eternal life. And she's immediately interested. Immediately. You say, why was she so interested? I'll tell you why. She didn't want to go to the well every day. Are you with me? Do you get what I... Because she, she was, she, her life was, was in, in such a condition, she didn't want to be around other people. It was, it was, she considered it great if she didn't have to go every day and do that. Because she didn't have to worry about all the work in the heat of the day. She didn't have to worry about having to try to avoid other people. She's looking for an escape from her circumstances in her life. She wasn't necessarily looking for eternal life. She was looking for a way to avoid people. 
Maybe even avoid work. I don't know about you, but if I could find an easier way to do certain things and not have to do them myself, I'd be like, hey, sign me up. If I don't have to, if I don't have to do that job, you know, and somebody else is going to do it for me and give it to me, I'm okay with that. That's what she was thinking. But then her epic fail is revealed. She misleads Jesus about her marriage situation. Look at verses 16 to 18 of John 4. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I love this conversation. Moms, you are, you're the truth detectors of your home, aren't you? Moms, they, people can't get much by moms. I love this conversation. She tells him that she doesn't have a husband. Technically, it's true. When we have kids, we understand that they know what is technically true. Okay, but we know that it's not really the truth, okay? There's a difference between technically true and it's not true, okay? We, they're, they're, and our kids, they like that fence, okay? They like to, when we ask them a question, they want to give us what is technically true, but it's not all the way true because if they told us what was all the way true, what's going to happen? We're going to be upset, right? So they've learned to tell us what's technically true, and that's exactly what happened. She tells, she, she, let's just, let's call this what it is. She lies to Jesus. Are you with me? She lies to him. Isn't that like one of the seven deadly sins? I'm not Catholic, but I looked him up, okay? I looked him up, and it says lying to Jesus, one of the seven deadly sins. I mean, I'd be worried that like it would disqualify. I'd get to, I'd, I'd stand before God. Well, you lied to Jesus, you know. That is not good at all. Have you ever done anything so bad that you thought you could never be forgiven for? I haven't encountered a lot of people like that in my life, but I have. Pastor, you don't understand. God could never forgive me. You don't know what I've done. Mm. If that's you today, I have good news for you. Jesus forgives sin. Maybe it's not something that you've done. Maybe it's just the condition in which you find yourself. It's such a mess that you wonder, could God ever love me? Could God ever accept me? Could he ever forgive me? I want you to know that Jesus acknowledged the truth of this woman's situation. Married five times, okay? She doesn't live in 2018. She lived 2,000 years ago. I, can, I can't even think up a scenario, okay, by which she could be married five times. And yet the man that she's living with is not her husband. 
I mean, she, not only is she lying to Jesus, she's, she's got a, some pretty shady background going on. Jesus acknowledges the truth of her situation, but he doesn't condemn her. Thank you, Lord. He doesn't condemn us. Psalm 103, it says in verse 10, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. God has not given me what I deserve. Thank you, Lord. Man, it's his mercy. It's his grace. Jesus came into the world not to condemn it, but that through him it might be saved. That's good news for you and I. And number five, it says the woman went back to town. You see, she was caught red-handed. Red-handed, lying to Jesus. Just think about that. You've been caught red-handed, lying to the Messiah. Okay? I, you're in trouble. There's no doubt about it. I, I don't think I'd want to hang around. Okay? I'd be a little bit worried about myself, about what's going on. Her, I love her response when Jesus catches her in this lie. So I see, sir, that you are a prophet. <laughs> she knew Jesus wasn't from Sychar. She knew that he was Jewish. He didn't live there. She knew that he knew this some other way. I see, sir, that, that you're a prophet. She doesn't run away from him, though. That would be my first inclination. Just run, okay? You're, you're, the jig is up. You're in trouble. But she, and the scripture says she left very hastily. In fact, she left her, her, uh, her water jug there. She left it there. Now, that, that wouldn't be probably advisable because what if it was gone? What if it was the only one she had? Water was so important. But she left in such a rush that she left her water jug there. And the, the Bible says she left quickly. Let's look at verses 28 to 30. Leaving her water jug, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now the woman at the well had made an epic failure. For whatever reasons, she had been married five times. She's living with a man that's not her husband. We assume that this is, they're, they're cohabitating. Um, they're just not married, okay? That's what we're, we're assuming from the way the scripture says it. She's lied to Jesus, and now she makes the comeback. She goes back to town. These are the people that she doesn't want to encounter, okay? Sychar is probably not a big town. It's probably a town like Marquette. Something happens in Marquette. It doesn't take long for everyone to know. Right? 
There's good things about living in a bad town, a small town. There's bad things. And one of the things is that everybody finds out your business. So this woman goes back to the people that she doesn't want to know her business, but they already do. Hey, she's had five husbands. The guy she's living with is not even her husband. They already know her business. She goes to them and she says, hey, you need to come here. A man that told me everything I ever did. They already knew what she had done. That's no news. But the fact that this guy was not from there and he told her that, she said, could this be the Messiah? They were so intrigued by her testimony. They were so intrigued by what she said that they thought, you know what, this could be the guy. This could be the Messiah. And so they followed her back to the well, to Jacob's well there at Sychar. Let me ask you this. Maybe you failed so bad that you thought, you know what, I'm done. God could never accept me back. God could never want me again. God could never use me again. My, my failure is so extensive, but I want you to know that there's nothing that you have done that he doesn't say, I love you, I want to forgive you if you will come to me. If you'll just make that, and, and, and don't think that you got to turn and walk a thousand miles. You just got to turn to him and that's it. He will meet you more than halfway. He will meet you right where you are. You may have failed so epically and say, Pastor, you don't know the things that I've done. There's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could forgive me. I assure you that he loves you. I assure you that he forgives you. Maybe you're like the woman at the well. It could be you. It doesn't have to be you. You see, I believe that God is not done with you yet. I believe that as the story goes that Jesus said, I, I need to go through Samaria. What that tells me today is God is looking for you. For you, very specifically. Not, not the person next to you. Not the person in front of you. Not your neighbor. He's looking for you. Whether you're sitting in the hub, whether you're sitting here in the sanctuary, or whether six months from now somebody is watching this video online and they're in this situation, God is looking for you. He wants you. Your life may be so messed up that it's easier just to be alone. It's easier to avoid people. It's easier to distract them with a bunch of small talk rather than let them into your life. Your fail may be so epic that you think I could never come back. But I want you to know that just like that woman at the well, and I believe that she put her trust in Jesus, I believe that the city of Sychar was revolutionized. I believe that a revival came to the city of Sychar because the Bible says that Jesus stayed two more days. They invited him to stay. And it says that many believed, not just because they heard her, but because they heard Jesus' words. People came to Jesus. She became an evangelist. By telling people about the Messiah. God is looking for you today. 
You may feel like you've messed it up. You may feel like you have made such an epic failure of things. But I want you to know that God is here today. And he said, I want you to come to me. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I just pray in this moment, Lord, for those that feel like they have blown it five ways to Sunday. They feel like they're an epic failure. They feel like you could never love them. They feel like you could never accept them. But I believe today, your Holy Spirit wants to communicate to them that God is looking for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, if that's you, you say, Pastor, I, I, I just... I feel like I've, I've just made a royal mess of things. I've, I've just, I would have to describe it as an epic failure. But today, I, I, there's just a glimmer of hope because I realize that God may be looking for me. And if God is looking for me, if there's one chance that he's looking for me today, I, I want to make sure that he finds me today. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up. Just, just between you and the Lord. Nobody else is looking around. Just, just go ahead, just slip it up. I'm just going to wait a second. Yes, there's a few hands that are going up. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today. Lord, that even in what we consider the midst of epic failure, that you are there, that you are looking for us, and that you have a, a comeback, a turnaround, a place where we can come back and we can have victory in Jesus' name, where we can walk with you, and that you will right the ship. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name.